mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turning your Bible with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, going to finish up this week with the third part of our Resurrection Day message. If you'll remember with me, we began in Exodus 12, the Passover festival, and then we moved to Matthew 21, triumphal entry, most call it Palm Sunday, but it was a triumphal entry on the 10th of Nisan, the same day as the Passover festival, as everyone uh, chose Jesus as the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. They chose him as the Messiah. Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, they cried. And then they questioned him. They watched him for a week as they would have with the Passover festival lamb in Exodus 12 that they had been celebrating throughout their generations. They watched him. They questioned him. They decided he was not the Messiah. And the religious rulers stirred up the crowd as Pilate washes his hands of it and declares him an innocent man. What do you want me to do with your king? And they said, crucify him. Crucify him. Release Barabbas. And when we listen to the spirit of this world, we will always cry, release Barabbas. We will always cry and choose the wrong side. In other words, here's the Son of God, the Messiah of the world standing there, innocent. We know that he's innocent. There's no charges against him. And then there's Barabbas, the son of the father. Bar means son and Abbas means father. And we have this Barabbas standing there, the son of the father of all lies, who we knew was a murderer, an insurrectionist. And yet the crowd chooses the one that they know is a murderer and follows the ruling authorities. And they crucified Jesus. Not a mistake. Not a surprise, always prophesied that he would come as the Lamb of God, the Mashiach of God, the Anointed of God, and he would die a sacrificial death and pay for the sins of the world. If you remember, as we closed last week, the Passover is coming, so they Joseph of Arimathea comes and wants to get the body. The soldiers have already went and broken the legs so that they could not breathe. If you remember, we talked about this maybe a couple weeks ago, that crucified on the cross, he's hanging there, and the only way to breathe with his weight hanging on his diaphragm, he can't breathe unless he pushes up. 
so they would break their legs so that they couldn't push up and it would hasten the death of the criminal that was being crucified. When they come to Jesus, he'd already given up his spirit. He said, it is finished to tell us die, paid in full. And he gave his spirit up. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. Jesus gave his life freely for you and I, for us, the sins of the world, to as many as would believe. He gave the right to receive eternal salvation. So Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea comes with Nicodemus. Interestingly, Joseph was part of the Sanhedrin. Comes with some spices and balms in order to wrap him in clothing, cloths, and bury him in a borrowed tomb. Nicodemus, we remember, who came by night, Nicky. He comes out of the darkness. Now he's out in the open, believing. I would encourage you to read all four accounts, four Gospels, three of them synoptic, the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then John, some 35 years later, he writes... I would encourage you to read all the accounts of the resurrection. They tie together better. They are um, in some ways different in content, but not in fact. They support one another. Uh, you've probably heard, if you've been a Bible student for very long, that if you're going to call some people in to testify in court for you, and every single one of them said the exact same thing, you would know that the witnesses have been tampered with. You know, like when you turn on your news and they all say the same talking points, the same propaganda, the same exact thing. We know they've been tampered with. They're being coached. They're being instructed what to say to hypnotize people. But in this text, we have four witnesses giving four testimonies of the same thing that happened, yet their, their, their content of their testimony, because of their personal relationship with God, because of their co-perception with God, their consciousness, and what really impacted them, we see that they give a different but yet the same exact testimony of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some things are more important to others. Some things, they have a different audience is some of the reasons. But read all of them. Read all of them and see that there was a lot more going on. But we're going to take Dr. Luke's um, testimony that he gathered, probably a lot from Mark. And we're going to talk about it a little bit this morning. Uh, but Matthew in 28 uh, gives us the resurrection. Mark in 16 gives us the resurrection. John in chapter 20 gives us the resurrection. Some 35 years later, after John, who was there and witnessed it, has time to reflect and writes another gospel. I thought it was interesting that... Bear with me a minute. I know. Resurrection Sunday. That Matthew is the 40th book of the Bible. 
40 is the number of judgment. Jesus, we have the testimony of Jesus taking the judgment of all the sin of the world in the 40th book. And in case you didn't believe the 40th book, the Old Testament says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. Now, for a long period of time, some 35 years, that's what was actually there. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three witnesses testimonies, and then some things started to sneak in, some heresies and things, and John writes his gospel later. It's not one of the synoptics to help enforce the truth of what happened. And so we see that God always follows the same thing. He's an unchanging God, and he gives us two or three witnesses of fact of people that were standing there that walked with Jesus for three years. So make sure you look at them and you'll understand why uh, one text says that there was one angel. One text says it was a vision. One text, I mean, it says it was two angels. One text says the stone was rolled away. One text says there was an earthquake. Well, it's according to who you are, what you're going to see, what's going on in your consciousness, and what facts you're looking at. If we wish to see a car wreck out here right now and we turned our head, every one of us would give the same story of a car wreck, blue car, white car. One person got out yelling, but we would give it a little bit differently according to what your perception was and what you've seen it as, and all the facts would line up. But if we all walked up there and said the same thing, exactly, perfectly, you would know that the devil is run amok. It's the same thing with our news today. Listen to me. God is not bringing everybody together. God is dividing. He bringing a, he's bringing a sword to separate those that will walk in darkness and those who will walk in light. And so when you all say the exact same thing because you're being coached by the devil, you're going to have all of this. Let's come together in this convergence. Let's all tolerate one another, except for them stinking Christians. Let's all tolerate the opinion of mankind and their intelligentsia, but let's ignore God's truth. Let's make up our own truth. Let's change it. Let's change it so that it fits our narrative for today. Very important who you're listening to. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. John 10, 27. Very important who you're listening to if you call yourself a child of God. See, now think about this in the flesh. If you were in the flesh and you were a child or you were a person and, and the neighbor's dad said to you, you stop it, you would say, who are you? Now, I know when we were growing up, the whole the everybody parented everybody and they listened. But think about it. We were like, well, you're not my dad. Where's my father at? That's who I want to listen to, my father. Your father sent his son to die for you. And now the son has sent the spirit back. He asked the father, and the father sends the spirit back. And as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the children of God. It's very simple. There's no other test. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. The question is that you have to put to yourself in this grand courtroom while you're on trial and you're given testimony, am I endeavoring to be led by the Spirit of God because of the blood of God and the death of God on the cross and yea, His resurrection? That's what this day is about. It's not about Easter bunnies. That's as delusional as some of the other stuff they're talking about. That's as delusional as men marrying men. And, and distorting God's definition of marriage. 
and family. It's delusional way of saying that God did not make a man and woman. He did create them male and female. There is a difference. Bunny rabbits don't lay eggs. I know people get real irritated at me. Wait a minute, we're traditional Christians. Wait a minute, we've been doing this all of our life. Yes, we've been sinners all of our life. And when you know the truth, you need to stop living the lie. That's what sanctification is about. That's what the fire of God is about. He's consuming. He's purging it out now so you don't have to do it in eternity. When we see the truth, we want to follow the truth. When our will meets the cross, then the way that God says to do it, we want to repent and turn. Metanoia, go the other way. And yet we go, no, this is the way I've always been taught. Yes, in the sin nature. Yes, by the world. Yes, by the voices that want to deceive us and make us out hunting Easter eggs. Serving a God of Ishtar, a a pagan fertility God a female goddess, as opposed to saying he has risen. He has risen indeed. Listen, this is Resurrection Sunday, and God's people should know what it means. My grandchildren said, are we doing anything special today? And I said, no, we're just worshiping God the way we always do. Every day's Resurrection Day to me. Every day is God's day to me. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. We don't just pick a day and do what the world says. Oh, they go to church on Sundays. Listen, it's every day. It's the rest of eternity if we know God. If we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. Very important that we get this right. And, 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 and you know, most people will sit around and and argue about dates and days and seasons instead of just living for Christ and telling people that he died for the sins of the world. And you know, Resurrection Day, how in the world would we know that God received his payment of death on the cross if he didn't get up? How would we know on this side of eternity? How would we know over here? Well, he died. They said he was the Messiah. He died for the sins of the world. Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? He got up. It was witnessed at one time by some 500 people. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. He got up. People witnessed it. They wrote it down. Not just Christian people. Josephus records it. Historians record it. He got up. They paid off the guards. They said, let's give them some money. And you tell them. And we'll protect you so that you won't have to die because you let your prisoner get away. Listen to me. It's very important that we understand that we don't want to listen to the world's narrative. We don't want to listen to good, well-meaning Christian teachers of the past and repeat their talking points. Listen to me, it's very important because so many people will quote so many bad teachers of the past. We talk about this all the time. It's got nothing to do about somebody that was teaching the Bible 100 years ago. It's got to do with, did Christ die for the sins of the world? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he rose again? It's a marriage ceremony. It's a personal relationship that you have with God. 
And whatever the pastor says, you can follow it as long as it lines up with the Bible, not lines up with, well, my pastor says, well, Spurgeon said, well, Moody said. Listen, they might have been good men of God. They might have been great. I wasn't there with them. I don't have a relationship with them. And right now, we're watching people on TV all around the world. They get to have a, a pulpit, and you watch them, and you believe what they say, but you have no idea what their life is. The gospel is relational. You listen to people that you can have a relation with, you can rub elbows with, you can iron sharpen iron. God is chipping away and you begin to get settled down and be a holy body to go reach other people. But what do they got us doing? Everybody runs where they want to go. Everybody just goes off and goes, oh, it's the days of judges. I'll get excited on you. Listen to me. It's the days of judges. There's no king, so everybody does what's right in their own eyes. But the body of Christ is just that. It's a body. It's a body where Christ is the head and we're all setting down all of us in our sin, saved by grace. And we're supposed to be helping one another, carrying one another's burdens, being concerned about one another, praying for one another, taking care of one another. Oh, letting the person carry their own weight and their gifts, talents, and abilities, letting them deal with what they're supposed to be dealing with according to God, but we come alongside and help unwrap grave clothes so people can be purified and become more like Christ. Positionally, it's finished. Practically, it's not. I think I told you I talked to a couple, a couple weeks ago that I've been in the same church for 49 years. I was like, wow, that's amazing. How did you do that? They said, we just decided after we got married, like the week before, we found that church. We've been married 49 years too. We just decided that we were going to stay there. We we're going to be part of the body. We were going to stay there. We we're going to make our foundations there. And no matter what, we know that politics are going to happen. We know that people are going to offend us. We know that we're going to offend people. But we're just going to stay there as long as the Bible's being taught. And we are going to worship God and help others come along and grow. That's what the church is supposed to be. God does move people. Don't, don't get me wrong. But be very careful what you're doing on your own. Because God wants to open our eyes. So Jesus lays three days in a tomb. A borrowed tomb. And then 24-1, we read, now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, Luke, they, certain other women with them, came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this that behold two men stood by them in shining garments then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth they said to them why do you seek the living among the dead he is not here but is risen remember how he spoke to you when he was still in galilee saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all 
these stains to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us be witnesses of your resurrection by our very lives. That we would go out as new creations in Christ. That old things would pass away. And that all things would become new in our life. And it would be obvious to those that look upon that we know you. Pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart and help us to be led by your Spirit. Not just today, but until you come. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Luke 24, 1. Now on the first day of the week, that's why we traditionally celebrate on Sundays. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now, where are they bringing spices? These women are, are busy. They're, they're industrious. They're going to finish burying Jesus. I don't think they think, now I've heard other things, I don't think they think that he was actually he had a proper burial because of the Passover, because of the Sabbath. And so they might not know that Joseph of Arimathea came with a hundred pounds of spices. And so they probably are coming. Now, I've heard other people say, well, wait a minute. If you do the math and you do this, you do that, you find out that Jesus weighed more than this and there wasn't enough spices. So they were bringing more. I don't think they knew. So they're just coming. But very early in the morning, they're coming. Are, are you coming to Jesus very early in the morning? Do you meet with Jesus very early in the morning, bringing what you have? And laying it before him. Are you ready to serve him very early in the morning? I think it's a very important thing that we understand that he does want us to get up early in the morning. Not legalistically. You're early in the morning if you work a different shift. Might be a different time. But the first thing to do is to meet with Jesus. To come looking for him. To come expecting to meet with him. Very early in the morning. Listen to me. It's very important. Before all the cares of this world crash in on you that you're ready, you're there, you're saying, here's my heart, what are we going to do today, Lord? Prepare me for this and pour out your Spirit upon me. So very early in the morning, these women come. Now, it's important to note that, because some will say, well, look at these women. Listen, they didn't kill the women that followed the leaders that they called insurrectionists, but they killed the men. So the men are hiding. The men are behind closed doors. Just traditionally, they would hunt them down and they would kill all of them so that they would completely get rid of the entire movement. So the women were safe to move about, but the men were not. We're going to see them get up with a little bit of courage here in a minute, though. So they come to the sepulcher and they're bringing spices, which they had prepared. They did some work. They made them ready so that they could take care of it. They obeyed the law of God for the Sabbath. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, from the sepulcher. You know that when you seek, you will find? 
ask and it will be given. Knock and it will be opened. You're like, how? Well, God took care of it. God rolled the stone away. Somebody said, well, did it, was it the earthquake? Matthew tells us there was an earthquake. Was it the earthquake or was it the angels that did it? We know the guards are not here in this text. They're not there anymore. So the guards had to be afraid and leave. There's so many things if you read all four texts that Luke doesn't cover, but he covers exactly what we need to hear today. The stone was rolled away from the sepulcher. Not so Jesus could get out, but so that you could see in and see that the tomb is empty. Only Christians can claim this. You go to Buddha's tomb, still bones. Confucius, still bones. You go to Muhammad, still bones. You go to Joseph Smith, still bones. You go to any pope that's ever been, still bones. But Jesus' tomb is still empty. And you're saying, oh, we can't find it. I don't need to find it. The Bible testifies. It's the inspired word of God. It's empty. He's not there. He rose again. It's Resurrection Sunday. That's why we're here. Because he rose. It's the evidence that God accepted his payment on the cross. His payment of blood for the sins of the world. The payment has been made. Have you been reconciled to God? Are you being reconciled to God? Do you believe that the payment was made? Here's the evidence. They found, they asked, they they were seeking, they were knocking. They go there to finish ministering, taking care of his body because they believe he's dead. God's not dead. Listen, I, 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 will, I will offend people with my message, and, and, but I see Christians crying over this time of the year. Why don't you cry all year long? It's the same message all year long, but when we start talking about, oh, it's Easter, it's Resurrection Sunday, I, don't, I try not to use that word, but I'm saying it because people say it, and then they start crying, and they're like, what? no, it's not a crying thing. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame and is now set down at the right hand of God. He came for this purpose. It's not about our fickle emotions. We need to get out of that. It's about evidence. Have you searched it out? Have you looked for it? Are you walking in it? Are you trusting his resurrection? Or are you still playing games? Time is so short and we're playing games and we're crying over the Messiah who came to die for us. Listen, that's not how Christians act. That's not the point. I know people got messed up emotions. I'm not saying your emotions are not yours. I'm saying get out of it and get to the truth. Quit living by your emotions and landing in a ditch. The tomb is empty. He's very much alive. He's not dead. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and me. We've seen him stand when the first martyr of the church, Stephen, is stoned. We know where he's at. Do you know that he's coming back to take the chosen home? This is not, listen, it's not time to sit around crying. 
I'm sorry, it's not. It's not time to sit around crying. It's time to go out and be a witness to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to be new creations, to understand and search out the power of the resurrection and tell other people about it. And when their conscience receives the good news of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, not somebody's book, not somebody's idea, not some fancy little ministry that we come up with in our flesh, but when they receive the word of God to their conscience, they have a decision. Am I going to disagree with God or am I going to have a good conscience before God and have co-perception with God? That's what that word means, conscience, co-perception. In other words, I'm going to agree with God. And if I love him, I'm going to ask him to help me keep his commandments. And then what, Greg? Then he will send another, the comforter, the spirit of truth, who will be with you and in you. He will not leave us as orphans. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can now be children of God who has the Holy Spirit living in us and sealing us and then leads us. But as he's leading us, what's he doing? He's teaching us. He's guiding us. He's showing us all truth so that our perception will be sanctified and we'll have co-perception with God and we'll agree with God. How can two walk together unless they agree? Listen, we're supposed to be becoming like God. And we're going to see that after this text. I'm going to go on the road to Emmaus, and you're going to see what God was doing. He wasn't standing around belly aching. He got up out of the grave, and he spoke for 40 days concerning the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He kept doing what he was always doing. He's still doing what he was always doing. And he said he was going to send another, and he prepared them to receive the Holy Spirit. He prepared them for it. He said, wait in, in Galilee. Wait for the Spirit to come. We're going to see it at the end of the chapter. But this is what God's doing. He's always going to go before you. He's always going to send you where he's going himself. He's always going to prepare the way. But it's us that stand around in our fickle emotions and we chase the world. Watch what the angels say to him. I'm getting excited. I'll calm down. I digress. Stones rolled away. So that we can look in and see the evidence that God received the payment for the sins of the world. Verse 3, then they went in, they investigated, and did not find the body. Now I know that they're talking about Jesus' literal body. But do you know that now we are the body of Christ when we believe? Where do you find the body of Christ at? Why are we looking with our physical eyes when we should be looking with our spiritual eyes? Are they bearing fruit? Do they look like they know Jesus? Are they being led by the Spirit of God? Are they concerned about spiritual things? That's where you find the body of Christ at. You begin to use the truth that you have. Because see, the Holy Spirit instantly begins to burn out the lie. That's what He's came to do, destroy the works of the devil, the lie. Destroy the wages of sin, death. He's come to destroy all that, yet we still live like we're dead. We're still looking in empty tombs. We're still believing the deception. Bunny rabbits having eggs. Are you kidding me? Well, it doesn't hurt anything, Greg. It covers up the resurrection. That doesn't hurt anything? 
the very evidence that God wants us to know about, that he received the payment for your sin nature? You don't think it hurts anything to cover up the resurrection? What does resurrection mean? I'm glad you ask. It means a standing up again. It means a recovery of spiritual truth. They were so lost, they didn't know the truth. And here comes Jesus. He stands up again. And in standing up, raising from the grave, we see the evidence that he truly was the Messiah. But then he sends the Holy Spirit to begin to teach us and guide us into all truth, to help us recover spiritual truth, and to sanctify and cleanse us with the washing of the water through the word. Well, how does he do that? When you agree in your conscience with his truth, it kicks out the lie. It destroys it. It burns it up with this consuming fire that God is. And now you're beginning to have a co-perception with God and think the way he thinks about souls. Think the way that he thinks about life. Think the way that he thinks about coming back. You begin to be concerned about the soul of a person. He died for the soul of a person. That was the only thing that he cared about. Was the soul of people. His economy is in souls. Yet his body can't be found. Because we're too concerned with everything else, with self and sin and Satan. They went in and did not find the body, the corpse of the Lord Jesus. Notice Lord is first. Kurios. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. I know you think that's a crazy cliche, but you should write it on your Bible. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. If there's something that the Lord says and you just say, nah, I ain't going to do that. How is he your Lord? How do you say no to him? How do you read the truth and say, that's, that's, oh, that's the pastor's opinion? Oh, that's a book that's written years ago and been translated so many times, it's all a mess. Really? You're messed up. That's messed up theology. That's an excuse for not wanting to obey what God has called you to do. He's not, he's not a God at all if he can't get you a love letter that tells you everything you need to know. If he'd let man mess it up, how could he be a God? I was watching an evangelist on TV, and they wanted, the people wanted to talk about all these other gods. I'm like, how could you have other gods? Do you not understand that if one person could take over the other god, then that one's not God? There's one true God. But we quickly make up our own gods, our own interpretation of God. And we justify our sin in our lives Where can you find the body of Christ? Verse 4, and it happened. While they're investigating, while they're there, they're looking for their teacher. It happened as they were greatly perplexed, puzzled about this, that behold, two men called in Luke stood by them in shining garments. Now listen, I just think that Luke, Luke is very analytical. He's a doctor. He does an autopatea. Uh, we know of, of the, the things that happened as he questions. He didn't witness it. He didn't see it. He can't call them angels. So he says there was two men and they were shining. I mean, he alludes that they're angels, but he's not going to say that because of his analytical mind and he didn't witness it. So he just says other ones witnessed it and they said it. 
shining garments. Then as they were afraid, because think about it, if you see the shining garments, I think that the ladies knew it was angels. And they were falsely taught that if you see an angel, you're going to die. You're going to die if you see an angel. So they're afraid. They bow their faces to the earth. Notice the angels knew why they were there. The angel said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why? Well, how can they say that to him? Because Jesus had already spoken to them and told them what was going to happen. He told them where he would meet them at. He said that he was going to be delivered. He was going to be crucified. And then I'll raise again in three days. Meet me in Galilee. But they are all confused. They don't know what to do. They aren't understanding. Let me ask you this, though. And I'm not being mean to God's bride. And, 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 and a wise man will receive and become wiser. Where are you looking for Jesus at? Where are you looking for the body of Christ at? Where are you fellowshipping at? What things are you investigating? Think about this for a minute, because people that call themselves Christians are off doing every other sort of thing today, every other sort of thing every day, and they're still looking in graveyards for someone who gives life. They're still looking in sepulchers, in tombs. They're still looking at dead men's bones. They're still following dead teachers and dead people and dead systems and a dead world instead of following life. We were born dead. We shouldn't still be living in a dead world. We were born dead. We were born in this world that's a graveyard. And we still think that there's something there that's going to help us? When God called us out of darkness into His marvelous light? We've been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus? And, and we go on chasing darkness? We keep looking for the living among the dead? Now listen, that's not the same as going to. He's going to give us the Great Commission later. We're supposed to go to the dead and tell them about Jesus. When they hear truth, they have to make a decision in their conscience. We've talked about that. But when we go out looking to enjoy our life in the dead, in dead men's bones, everywhere else, in tombs, how do we think we're going to find life following what the world is saying that's underneath the sway of the wicked one? 1 John 5, 19, I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one, underneath wickedness. How do we think that we will be transformed into the image of Jesus doing what the world is doing, following what the world is following, making their likes our likes, their wants our wants, their needs our needs, what they're underneath the sway of what we want to do? That's not coming out and coming to life. That's staying in darkness and deceiving yourself. And that's the only deception is self-deception. Because once you know the truth and you choose not to do it, you're just self-deceived. Where are you looking for Jesus at? Are you looking in the pages of Scripture? Are you looking in the Word of God? This is the roadmap. 
right here. 66 books, 40 authors outline everything God's ever done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. They tell us the end before the beginning, tells us the beginning before the end. He's outside of time, all inspired by God. Never changing, never changing. My goodness, have you watched the news? It changes from one station to the next, the narrative, what they want you to believe. Have you, have you went to school? It changes every year. They change the curriculum. It changes. It's shifting sand. There's no foundation. And then we sit around and we see a government that wants to build back better. I didn't say a government, did I? I'm not talking about America. Isn't that so short-sighted? They want to build back the whole world better because God created the world. They want to build back all of it better. But you have to get rid of the foundations first. Listen, they're building on sand. They're building on sand. They're building with Easter bunnies laying eggs. If that's not enough nonsense for you, turn on your TV. Listen, read your Bible. This is where you search for the living. This is the word of the living God. This is the word of the living God. It's a living word that God sent to heal the land. And right now, he's causing a famine on the land for the word of God. Yeah, oh, yeah, the, the, the other government is going to bring a famine for food, for nourishment, that will cause your appetite to make you to make crazy decisions if you don't know the truth. But God is the one bringing the famine for the word of God. Slowly, he's bringing that delusion upon those people, and he's getting ready to do the same thing he did with Pharaoh, the same thing he did with Og, the king of Sion, where he confirmed their hearts. He gave them time to repent. He gave them time to turn. And then he confirms their heart to the place that they're at, and he uses them to show his great power upon the earth. And that's happening in the lives of people that resist the Spirit of God. They resist the resurrection of God, clear proof. we got to cover it up. Let's cover it up. We're going to build back better. Cover all that up. Cover all of it up. The calendar's not decided by when Jesus lived and died. Just cover it all up. We're not going to just cover that stuff up. The, the country wasn't, wasn't made because uh, and decided by men who serve God. Just cover it up. All you have to do is repeat a lie. Just cover it up. You don't have to tell them what COVID really is. Just cover it up. Just go on to the next great thing. Go on to the war. Cover it up. A lot of dead men's bones. What do they call them? Tells? They call them tells where they just keep covering up and building back on top of the same city. But when you go digging in and investigating, what do you do? You find the evidence of what truly lived there and what truly died there. Where are you looking at for the living? Listen, God tells us what's happening next. He tells us what's going on. And no matter what's going on, the last command he gave us was to go to all nations. Isn't that what he said? He said, all authority has been given to me after he rose from the grave. Isn't that the most important thing, the last words that he gave us? He rose from the grave before he ascended, and he said, all authority, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. I don't even like the word disciples. 
Go therefore and teach them, King James, of all nations. Teach all nations. Teach them what? To be identified with Christ and his resurrection. He says, go therefore and baptize. That's teaching identification. Do you guys get that? They baptized people in what they were following what they were identified with. They washed them off and they began to learn and have a co-perception with that understanding. I was raised a child and now I want to be a doctor. So I go to school and they teach me how to be a doctor. I was raised dead. I come to life. I come to God. I want to look into heaven where he's seated at and become like him. I have to listen to him. His word is right here. Everything that he's ever said or that we need to know is right here in these 66 books. You ask most people what's the number one best-selling book, they'll never get to the Bible. But it's the number one selling book, but it's the least read. Least read. Where are you seeking? Or excuse me, are you still seeking the living among the dead? Are you st- I mean, we're pilgrims here. We're mere passer buyers. This is not our home. This is we don't have a citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our king is in heaven. The word seek there means to inquire for, or to seek after, or to desire. It's interesting to note that among is the word meta. Among. The dead. Meta. I just throw that out there because I think kids are playing a game called Among Us, and I think that Meta is is the new virtual reality world of Zuckerberg. I mean, these things are not by mistake. They're hidden in plain view. And so they answer them. Because man needs to know this. It's verse 6, if you will, the number of man. He is not here. He's not in the grave. He is risen. He stood back up again so that you can have a recovery of spiritual truth. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? Heathen, what's that called? What's Galilee mean? Heathen. Oh my goodness. Are you serious? I forgot it. Heathen something. Galilee means heathens. If we look this stuff up, it, it works really good. Saying, this is what he said to him, the son of man, messianic term, must be delivered. If he's not delivered and crucified and raised again, he can't deliver us from the wages of sin. He must be. For this purpose he came must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. He told them that over and over and over again. And they said, you're not greater, I'm greater. You're not going to be on the right hand, I'm going to be on the right hand. And they stood around fighting about things that pertain to death instead of listening to things that pertain to life. They stood around arguing over non-essential things. Verse 8, number of new beginnings, 
Listen, these, these words, these numbers, everything is important in the Bible. Eight is the number of new beginnings. How do you recover and restore and, and come back to spiritual truth? The Holy Spirit brings it alive to you and you remember His words. That's eight, number of new beginnings. I know you think I'm crazy, but it is the number of new beginnings. They remembered His words. I started to make that the memory verse this week. It's the same remembered is the same word used in the communion text that we use, a memorial. And we have co-union with God when we remember his words, we believe his words, we follow his words. And then that we celebrate communion because the Passover's over with now because he died. He fulfilled the Passover festival as the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then in that same night when he partook of the last supper, he instituted communion. And since he got up, now we can recover spiritual truth and we can set a memorial. We have co-union with him. We take communion with him because we remember his words. Do you remember his words? Well, I never read them. Can't remember them if you don't read them. You can hear what people say. Grandma told me that the Bible says... I'm not being mean. I, got, I tell you all the time, I, I mean, and you guys probably get tired of hearing it, but I, I remember before I was saved, I got in an argument with my own mom because she was raised in some Catholic home that told her lies. And she said, well, cleanliness is next to godliness. I said, it's not in the Bible. She said, yes, it is. I said, no, it's not. And so we get out the big family Bible that's laying there, and I opened it up to the concordance. And I went, oh, my goodness. It said, right in the, in the concordance, cleanliness is next to godliness. But when I looked for the page, it said, is not in the Bible. I mean, it actually literally said that because people had argued about it so much that they had already put it in the concordance that it's not. It's not in the Bible. Or John the Baptist would have took baths. He wouldn't have had wild honey and locusts hanging off his face and lived in the wilderness. Yes, God's cleaning us up if we'll believe. They remembered his words. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to teach us and guide us and lead us into all truth. His words that God sent to heal the land. Well, why does the land need to be healed? Because it's fallen. We're born with a sin nature because of the first Adam. And there has to be a recovery of spiritual truth. And that truth is, is to come back to the government of God, to the family of God, to the house of God, to the word of God, and put yourself underneath that the way Adam and Eve were, and then walk in the light and in fellowship with God daily. And Christ does it perfectly for us when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. But practically, we're supposed to be learning to do it. And as we're doing that, we're burning out the dross and we're freely choosing without penalty and power of sin. We don't have to be fearful of that. There's no penalty anymore. Christ took it. There's no power of sin. Christ took it. We can walk in freedom and follow him. And become like him. But it has to be done by the Holy Spirit as he washes us and cleanses us. As we confess because he convicts. As we realize that that doesn't line up with co-perception with God. We need to confess it and repent and turn the other way. Now the first of my 27 closings. 
So they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Notice this, what they did instantly when they remembered his words. See, if you're reminded of God's word and what God has said, you're going to go witness and tell others instantly. And you can't remember it and be reminded of it unless you have the Spirit of God. Because it's a spiritual book, it's a spiritual life, it's a spiritual witnessing. You can't save people in your flesh. Verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, remember, cast seven demons out of her. Joanna, Mary, the mother of James. And the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. I think all these ladies doing that is the type of the church sharing and witnessing the truth. Because the church is the bride of Christ. And their words seem to them like idle tales. Nonsense is what that means. Idle tales. An incredible story. Nonsense. And they did not believe them. They did not pistio. They did not trust what they said. Commit to it. They didn't commit. Even though Jesus had already told them he was going to do it. And then it came to pass, and witnesses came and told them they couldn't commit. So what did they do, Greg? Oh, verse 12. Peter arose and ran to the tomb. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. He's in wonder. He's admiring, is what the word means, to have admiration. He went and investigated, and he's seen that it was true. But he still doesn't understand it. Remember? Because what's he do next? He backslides. He tells the boys, I'm going fishing. I can't get this put together here. It's not working in my mind. I understand that he said this and this happened, but my mind is not getting it. And he says, I'm going fishing. And remember, he went fishing. And they were fishing all night again and caught nothing. And Jesus comes. They can't recognize him. They don't know who he is. And he says, little children, you caught anything over there in them tombs looking for the living and the dead? Did you catch anything out there? And they said, uh-uh. And they said, try the other side of the boat. And they pull in this great catch. What is it, 153 fish? They end up counting. And somebody says, it's the Lord. And remember, he's cooking them breakfast. He's cooking them breakfast there on the bank. And he restores Peter. John 21. Listen. Peter's impetuous. Peter puts his foot in his mouth, but Peter gets up and goes and finds out what's going on all the time. He's trying to become like the rock. He's a chip off the old block. He wants to be like his Savior. Have you investigated? Have you made haste? Are you trying to redeem the time because the days are evil? Or are you still sitting around? 
eh, you know, Jesus died for me, but if I feel like getting out of bed today, I'll get out of bed. If I don't, I won't. I don't feel like going to church today. It's no big deal. It's only the body of Christ. It's only talking about the words of Christ. It's It's only equipping the saints to go out and be witnesses. I'm not trying to put any legalistic trip. I'm telling you that God has instituted something, an institution of the church, his bride, who comes and learns who he is and how he is and what he's doing, what he's done and what he's going to do. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, they go out and they implement that and they help him. They become the helpmate just like the wife is. And they go out and help him with the salvation of souls. It's a privilege to be able to go out and help him find souls that will believe. Does he already know? Yes, he knew where Adam and Eve were hiding. Yes, he knows where you're at. Yes, he knows what's going on. Yes, he knows all things. You remember Peter getting all frustrated? Lord, why did you ask me a third time? You know all things. He wants to reason with you. Though your sins were as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Positionally done. Practically, we're going through this. Practically, we're supposed to be becoming the bride, becoming like the groom, becoming the helpmate. We're supposed to be investigating. We're supposed to be searching the scriptures. We're supposed to be ready to give an answer to all men, the hope that is within us. Christ is returned. That's our hope is Jesus Christ. You have no hope and nothing here in the world. There's no hope. Now let's walk. We'll go through this really quick. Listen, today is resurrection day. Do you believe in the evidence? Do you believe in Jesus? How has that resurrection affected your life? Not just today, every single day. How does it affect your life? Are you out looking for Easter eggs under bunnies? Or are you searching for souls and continuing the work of God as the light of the world? We're light bearers. How does resurrection, the fact that now we can all get up out of the grave, We've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We don't live by sight if it's a life of faith. If we're living by sight, we are not living a life of faith. Keep that in thought as we go on the road to Emmaus. Keep that thought in mind because Jesus is getting ready to open eyes. What's he doing? He's preparing. Now, we've got a little bit of time, about two minutes, to get rid of, get rid through the other 40 verses. Listen to me. Jesus hasn't finished doing what he's doing. And he says in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, the spirit of truth. Listen, because this is what we need to know next. And this is going to move in because I'm going to teach the next couple weeks on the Holy Spirit. Because we have to understand that if we're not being led by the Holy Spirit, we are not the children of God. And the Holy Spirit wants you to see the words of God and to follow them, to hear His voice and have a relationship. He would know you and you would follow. You'd be in the way with Him. And what's He doing? He's saving souls. Has to be done by the Spirit of God. 
And that's what he's getting ready to teach them. As he goes, as he shows up on the road to Emmaus, what he's doing is in a cameo. They can't recognize him, but he wants them to understand that even though he's not there in bodily form, he's there in spirit because he's getting ready to send the spirit. It's the next move that he's going to do to bring his bride out of a world and to prepare them for the kingdom of God. The next move he's going to do is the spirit of God so that he says, even though you don't know it, I'm always here. So he starts to make these cameos. They don't recognize him. They don't understand who it is. On the banks of the water, they don't recognize it's Jesus. Here, they're not going to recognize it's him. But he's going to open their eyes to see that he's always with them. He'll never leave them nor forsake them. Listen, it's important to know that, that he's with us in spirit. Because he is a spirit. God is spirit. And we must worship him in spirit and truth. You cannot be worshiping God unless you have the spirit of God and you're following truth. You're playing games and you have an imaginary God that you're making up. If it's not in spirit and truth. And that's what Jesus said to this Samaritan woman who they were playing their little God stuff on another hill that had nothing to do with Jerusalem where they, was, where they met with God at that time. They were in Samaria. Married into the Assyrian nation. Now behold, two of them. Remember, we talked about it. They don't need Jesus to tell them about that anymore. He has trained them as they learn the teaching to go out in twos. Okay? It's important not to be by yourself. Now there's two of them. Jesus didn't tell them to go travel together like that. That's what he trained them to do. The same day, resurrection day, and they're going to a village called Emmaus seven miles away interesting it means warm baths in the greek it means hot springs in the uh, hebrew they're seven miles away from teaching peace jerusalem and they talked together of all these things which had happened so listen to them they're reasoning together they're talking so it was while they conversed and reasoned that jesus himself drew near and went with them. So listen to me. Where two or more are gathered together, there I am in the midst. This is what he wants us to understand, that even though he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he's still here when we begin to talk about these things. He will draw near. When you draw near to God, he draws near to you. Remember why that's important? Because Goshen meant draw near. When the children of Israel were separated from Egypt, they were in Goshen. They were separated so they could draw near to God. See, we, our eyes have been opened so we can draw near and discuss these things and reason together and then learn to be the body of Christ that's doing the work of Christ for the glory of God. So they're discussing it. They're talking about it. Notice what's missing. They're reasoning among themselves. Notice what's missing. What happens if just you and me come up with an answer? We can both be wrong, but we both can't be right. But when we introduce Jesus to the equation, now we can have truth and he can take away all the lie. He can take away all the confusion. He can take away everything that's not right. And we're going, but you know, they said on that TV station and on that station and that station, and they said this over there, and now they're saying it's snake venom, and then they said it was this and that and the other thing. Introduce truth to the reasoning. Quit listening to the world and introduce truth. When you begin to talk about what does the scripture say is going on, what in the world is going on, 
and you begin to draw near to God and reason and converse about death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus himself shows up. And he's with them, para, one who comes alongside. That's what the Holy Spirit, we're going to start that next week, John 16. He comes alongside, paracletus. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Epigonoskos. They could not recognize him. Remember, Jesus said, you can epigonoskos a tree by its fruit. You can tell an apple tree. You can tear a pear tree. You can tell a tree that's bearing good fruit. You can recognize what it is by what it's doing, what its heart is involved in, what its hands are put to, where it's going. You can recognize if that's a tree that believes in resurrection or is playing in Samaria, in some other church, in some other land, some other God. God allows their eyes to be restrained. He's working on letting them know he's always there. Can you imagine the craziness if they would have noticed who he was? Their eyes were restrained. King James says, were holden. It means uh, they had no strength to see who it was. That's why when you're sharing with unbelievers and they have no strength to see what it is, and you're like, duh, can't you see? And they're like, no, I have no spiritual eyes. It's a spiritual book. It's a spiritual kingdom. He's trying to get us to follow the spirit that leads us, the teacher into all truth. And he said to them, what kind of conversation, communication, what manner of communications, King James, is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad, sullen, gloomy? Listen, this is not what we're supposed to be. If we know the truth, Jesus is risen. Now everybody can have a chance to believe in the Messiah. Single most important thing on the planet ever. And they're sullen and gloomy because they don't understand. What is this conversation? Rhema. It's Logos. Then the one whose name was Cleopas, means of a renowned father, answered and said to him, wonder who his father was at that time, renowned. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Now notice it's been three days. It's not like it's just, just happened. Three days people are talking about it. Three days, everybody, every adult male's there for the Passover. Everybody's there celebrating. There's millions of people, and then Christ is crucified. And they're like, you're the only stranger? And he said to them, what things? What manner of things? What sort of things? What are you talking about? So he's reasoning. He's pulling it out. What are you groping with? What are you fighting with? What's your confusion? Come and reason with me. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth means one separated. You get the Nazarene vow from that. Who was a prophet mighty. Oh, wait a minute. I thought he was Messiah. Prophet mighty. They're, they're confused. They're not sure now. A prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Notice the, the order of the words. He did it first. Acts 1.1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, O lover of God, of the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. As he did them, then he could teach them. 
Notice again, deed and word. He was a prophet mighty in deeds. You could see it. You could, you could epigenosios it because of what he did. See, if we're still seeking the, 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 the living among the dead, then we can recognize that there's a problem with our Christian walk. Because we're still thinking that the world can give us something. We're still hanging on to whoever gets the most toys wins. We're still hanging on to, to some prestige and pomp and pride that if we've got this and this what they've got, then we're doing good. Listen, having or having not has nothing to do with it unless it's having or having not Jesus, the Christ. Notice what's going on. He's reasoning with them. Notice what they say, 20, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him, truth, but contrast. Listen, we were hoping, our hope was, our expectation was that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Been dead for three days. Remember the falseness with Lazarus? They, they, they falsely believed that if you're in the grave three days, there's some stuff, there's some irony there. But listen, what is their, their view is so small. Listen, all they were hoping is that, that he would redeem Israel. They had been taught falsely that the Messiah was going to come and was going to sit on the throne again and make it just like Solomon's days. And all they were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. He was redeeming the world. It's so much bigger than just little bitty, one little bitty thing. It's so much bigger than just your life. It's all the lives. That's why he puts us together in the same spirit to go out to everybody. And they see our love for one another. We, they know we're his disciples. Listen, the things that are coming up on the world right now are not just America. It's the whole world. They're setting up leaders in every country of their own choice to take over the whole world so that they're all in line with the one world government, the Tower of Babel, the rebellion against God, the death culture. We have to wake up. It's not just about the United States. Oh, my goodness, if we survive four years with Joe Biden, oh, my goodness, we can do that, can't we? Just suck it up, and we'll do it. Are you kidding me? It's about souls. It's not about Joe Biden and nothing about him except his soul. Sadly, if he doesn't repent before he completely goes dementia, he's probably going to end up in hell. He's not the enemy. The devil's the enemy. It's a spiritual battle. It's not flesh and blood. It's all about souls, and it's worldwide. And we sit around and, and, and argue about silly stuff. Myself included. Wasn't talking about Christians in Texas. Everybody. It's bigger. Our hope is in Jesus but not just for our own lives, for everybody's life because we become the bride and we're concerned about his house as his children and we want to go to others because of what he's done for us and we're privileged to be involved. Closing number 25. 
22. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Listen to me. As the women, as the bride, when we share truth, we should share what the Bible says so that when people check it out, they find exactly what we said to be true. That's why I want you to memorize Scripture. That's why I memorize Scripture. I want to quote Scripture that pierces their conscience, and then they can choose truth or lie. I don't want them to turn in the Bible and go, well, you know that pastor said this, and it's not really in the Bible. That's what some other teacher said, and they played that little game. Let's pass it down the corridors of time, uh, and by the time we get to it, it's already been deceived, and it's being deceived. Think about it. If you're preaching what some other teacher taught, and then somebody else teaches it, and then it gets modified again, it gets so far away from the Bible. Just like that little game we played in school where they whisper in the ear, and by the time it gets to the end of the row, it's not even the same word anymore. That happened with the Bible. We're supposed to be handing the baton, passing the baton, and we make up little curious things, and we think it sounds good to a dead and dying world. And by the time it gets there in translation, it's lost. Just teach from a personal relationship. Teach what the Scripture said and let people decide. What does Jesus do? We can't find Jesus. Look in the scriptures. Quit looking in the tomb. Look what he says, verse 25, and we'll close tomorrow. Then he said to them, O foolish ones. He called them fools. King James says fools. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Why? Because the fool has said it in his heart. No, God. He's already given the word. He told them what he was going to do. They didn't listen, and they still got their own plans. They can't figure out what's going on, and he calls them fools because the fool has said no to God's word. That's why it's so important to know this. The fool says no to God. I don't like that answer that he gave us, that he's going to die and be crucified. Can I sit at the right hand or the left? Which one do you want me to sit on, Jesus? That's what I'm more concerned about. No, the fool, he calls, I'm telling you, he he calls them fools. It means sensual. It means unwise. It means they're following earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom instead of godly wisdom. And he's getting ready to tell them where to find the godly wisdom at. Watch. Foolish ones and slow of heart. Slow of your mind, will, and emotions. You're following them instead of the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the truth of God. So slow of heart to do what? To believe, to trust. Pistio, to trust in Christ for your spiritual well-being and then to have a constancy in that faith. In all that the prophets have spoken. See where he points at? He points to Scripture. He didn't point to the book of Luke, the book of Matthew. He didn't point to the New Testament, Andy Stanley. He pointed to the Old Testament. It was the only Testament. He pointed to the Old Testament, Andy. You can't get rid of the Old Testament. It's the foundation that they want to destroy. So they can build back better with a new Messiah, the Antichrist. If they build it back better, they can bring in the Antichrist because you've gotten rid of the foundation. Twenty-six. Ought not the Christ? See, I, I lose this in translation. Listen to me. Ought. 
Do you see the word ought? Listen. The word ought means must needs. The word ought is it is necessary. It was necessary. It had to happen. Why? Because the word of God prophesied it. God said it was going to happen. Ought to me doesn't seem to finish that and fill that word it was necessary. Let's read it that way. It was necessary that the Christ had to suffer these things and to enter his glory. It had to happen this way. Death, burial, and resurrection, or man cannot be redeemed. God had to come and die for the sins of the world because he was sinless. And then, beginning at Moses, law and the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Think about it. He talked about Genesis 3.15. Then he moved on to Genesis 22 where, where Abraham, the father, takes his son to the Calvary on the hill and is going to sacrifice him. He says, don't lay a hand on him. Now I know you fear God. I'll provide myself as a sacrifice. Then he takes him to Exodus 12 and he says, here's the Passover. And this is where all this sacrifice started that was going to happen with Moses institutes it in the wilderness. And he starts to tell them all the things in the Old Testament that showed that it was necessary for this to go on. Then he takes him to Isaiah 53, and it shows everything. About, I mean, he goes to the, wouldn't you like to have been there? All you have to do is draw near to him, and the Spirit of God will teach you the Spirit of truth is Jesus. He is the Spirit of truth. Just get in the Word of God. And he'll teach you the same way. He'll open the eyes of your understanding. Watch what he's doing. But he's showing them that they don't have to recognize him physically, that the Spirit is always here with us. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, he has sealed you. He's living in you. And he wants you to listen and still make a choice to follow. Still make a choice to obey. Still make a choice. Lord, I want to have co-perception, but I am stupid. I have this sin nature fighting me. Can you help me to learn to agree with your word? Can you help me to, to, to learn to get into your word and to practice it as a newborn babe would desire the pure milk of the word? I realize I go long. He expounded on the scriptures. Mm. It means to explain thoroughly, to translate, to interpret what they meant because the New Testament is hidden in the Old Testament. And if you want to keep your New Testament theology right, read the Old Testament and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Then they drew near Goshen. They drew near the village, Emmaus, where they were going, and he indicated, he acted like he was going to walk past, that they would... He would have gone farther, but they constrained him. They said, no, 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 come in, turn in here, it's late. Abide with us, come and stay here. Listen, God is not going to force himself upon you. You have to invite him into your house. You have to invite him to have a meal with you. He longs, he's standing at the door, Revelation 3.20, he knocks. And he says, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. But he's going on about the business that he's doing. You have to stop what you're doing and turn and say, hey, abide with me because you have the words of life and I don't want to go anywhere else. 
Notice they're walking together. How can two walk together unless they agree? These guys could have went on in and got them a meal and been concerned about their appetite and said, ah, forget that guy. He didn't even know what was happening here. He didn't even know it. Listen, be careful. You might be entertaining angels at any time. That's what the Bible says. Show hospitality. Abide with us. The evening. The, you know, Listen, this world, it's getting darker and darker. The evening is far spent. The new day is getting ready to come. He's going to open the clouds soon. And he went, he went in to stay with them when they asked. Now, it came to pass. Don't you love that? Whatever's going on, even Klaus Schwab and Gates, all these guys, they're going to come to pass. Sadly, they're going to be burned up and consumed and then spend eternity in hell. Well, how's that happen? Well, he's a consuming fire. You ask him how it happens. He's the one that says it. Fire never goes out. Worm never dies. Outer darkness. They never get to enjoy the light of the world like we do. What are you looking for? What are you practicing? Who are you listening to? Came to pass. Whatever is going on in your life, it'll pass. As he sat, notice they're sitting together, having a meal with them, para, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them all. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. Epigonoskos, they recognized him. When they broke bread, when they sat down and ate together, when they had fellowship together, real fellowship in the word, they recognized who he was. He opened their eyes of their understanding. What happened then, Greg? Then, he, then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. Listen to me. From their sight, from their physical sight. They're learning that he's here and he'll never leave them nor forsake them because we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't have to see him to know he's here. We don't have to understand it to know that he's got it in control. We're walking by faith, confident trust, a constancy in the Messiah who died and yea, rose again. This is resurrection day. This is all about res resurrection. It's all about standing. What's the position? We stand in the victory of Christ. It's all about recovery of spiritual truth. And as they're learning it, as, it's, as they're learning truth, it's burning out, consuming the lie. It's consuming their confusion. They're becoming bolder and stronger as they listen and walk with him and draw near to him. In their daily walk, their eyes are open. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? Consuming fire. Words of life. Light can be translated fire. And he opened the scriptures to us. Listen, you want the Holy Spirit to open the scriptures to you. I'm going to move quickly. So what did they do, Greg? They rose up. That very hour. Wait a minute. They weren't going to hide. They rose up that very hour. Wait a minute. It was a long walk. Seven miles. Aren't they tired? They rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Returned to teaching peace. That's what Jerusalem means. And found the eleven. They searched them out. And those who were gathered together with them. And they said, He is risen indeed. They went back and witnessed. They testified what they had seen and heard, that their eyes were being opened. And it has appeared to Simon. Now, I'm sure they said he appeared to us. 
But they mentioned Simon first, because remember, Simon was freaking out. Simon was, had, had, had backslidden. Simon had denied him three times, and the Lord comes and restores him. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Are you breaking bread? Is he known to you in the co-union of, of communion? Are you sitting down and having a meal with him? That's what he longs to do as he knocks. Now, as they said these things, he's, they're, they're talking about it again. What happens when they're rehearsing it? What happens when they're talking and two or more are gathered? Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit, a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? So now he shows them some physical evidence. Behold, my hands, my feet, handle me, touch me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you have seen. Remember this, this is doubting Thomas. Remember he's rehearsing this. I'm here always, Thomas, unless I see, unless I touch. I'm not going to believe. Jesus was not in the room. And he comes and says, Thomas, here, touch. Thomas, feel. He's showing them that even when he's not here, his spirit is here and he hears what you're saying. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're doing. He knows everything. He'll not leave you nor forsake you. He is working on getting you into heaven and you're just trying to get in the next week. He is purifying you, wanting you to listen to truth and be equipped and be used and come alongside and he'll protect his bride. He, he died for his bride. And we're like, I don't trust him. I don't know if this is a good thing or not. And they still don't believe him. So he says, when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe, listen, it's okay. We're hard people. But don't quit trying. Don't quit drawing near. Don't quit reading the word. They were astonished. He said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Real body, real scars. Listen but it can pass through walls. It's a glorified body. Listen to me, because it's the only thing that's going to be in heaven that's man-made, those scars. That's the only thing that's going to be in heaven that's man-made. Everything else will be burn up. Everything you do in yourself, burn up. Everything you do in your religion, burn up. But those scars are going to be there. He got them in the house of his friends. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's the whole Old Testament broken into three parts. Prophets, the Psalms, and the law. Listen to me. He's, he's telling them everything in person, but it's the same thing the Holy Spirit's going to do with us when we don't see him, when we trust by faith. The Holy Spirit is here. He teaches us, guides us, leads us. He's reminding them of all truth. Remember, I told you these words. And there's this transition period going on there. And then what does he do, Greg? 45, and he opened their understanding. He opened their understanding, their intellect, their spiritual minds that they might comprehend, that they might understand Stand under would be a good way to say understand. Stand under that truth. The scriptures. Only God can open your eyes. Listen, he says in Psalms, or excuse me, Proverbs 127, turn at my rebuke and I will pour my spirit out upon you. 
I will make my words known to you. He wants us to understand his word. He wants us to hear his voice. He wants us to follow him. And he wants us to know that being led by the Spirit is the way that that is happening as the Spirit teaches us truth and removes the lie and the sin and the practice of it from our life until we see him in his presence, in his glory in heaven. And then what does he do? Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary, ought, there's that word again, translated necessary this time, for the Christ to suffer and to rise, stand up again from the dead the third day, and then what? Go and make disciples, and that repentance, metanoia, and remission, payment of sin, should be preached, heralded, good news, in his name, character, nature, will. That's what name always is. His character, his nature, his will. Because it's his government, it's his authority, it's his kingdom. He's the creator. And to who? All nations. And then start in Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. You and I are now witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit because we believe. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued till the Holy Spirit comes upon you with power from on high. Deutimus, it's Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And he led them out from as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Resurrection Day is the evidence And when the Holy Spirit is living in our hearts and we are walking in the power of the resurrection, a new life, standing up in a recovery of spiritual truth, that's the evidence that we are truly born again. Anything else is religion. The Holy Spirit will bear witness. And if he bear witness in you, you will go out and bear witness to others. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your son stood back up again, that that death couldn't hold him, that he was preaching even during those three days to the captives formerly held in the days of Noah, Peter tells us. Lord, help us to understand resurrection. Help us to understand the salvation where you've delivered us from our sin nature. Help us, Lord, to turn and repent and receive the payment that was wrought on the cross with your death as the church was birthed out of your side, the blood and the water. And help us to walk in that justification, that righteousness, as we go and witness and tell others about your great love. Thank you for the presence of your spirit. Thank you. We ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and help us to have a personal relationship with you that would reflect in what we pursue, where we look, and how we live. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you.
And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I am.